Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos. I am so wonderfully grateful that you're here. It is just hitting me that this is the second to last time that you will hear me say that. We are coming to the finale finale of the Biz Women Rock podcast. If you don't know why that is, just go back a couple of episodes and listen to the episode called Why the Biz Women Rock podcast is going on sabbatical. So right now, I just have completed the very last interview that I will do for the Biz Women Rock podcast, and I am so sad. I'm really, really sad. I kind of want to break down in tears right now, but I won't because this episode is so good. Oh my gosh, so good and everything that I wanted it to be. So thank you for being here. We have one more week to go. On next week's episode, my husband Chris is going to be interviewing me. So you're not done with me yet. I have a little bit more to give on that episode. I'm really excited about it. But for today, I want to put the spotlight on the divine Kathy Heller. I have to tell you that the divine timing of this last interview was amazing because my guest Kathy and this conversation is the most beautiful music of harmony and strategy and purpose. You know, that's like my love of where I love talking about business. Kathy is a creator of Don't Keep Your Day Job, a very successful podcast whose guests include Seth Godin, Mandy Moore, Barbara Corcoran, and Gabby Bernstein, just to name a few. And just a few weeks ago, Kathy released her book, Don't Keep Your Day Job. And in just one week, it sold 10,000 copies. During our conversation, Kathy shares her passionate belief that we each matter, that we each have unique gifts to share with the world, and that our jobs are to discover what they are and to show up bravely to figure all of that out. She shares what all of her guests and every quote-unquote successful person has in common. She shares what is really underneath the challenges that we have and the walls that we each hit. Hint, hint, it has something to do with that little girl inside of us. She also shares why empathy is so important in business and actually puts it into a very practical explanation. And she shares how she's teaching her kids this concept of what she believes. My intention is that this conversation leaves you feeling whole with a deep knowing that you are perfectly imperfect, just the way that you are, and that you literally have everything within you to live the most beautiful life that you want to design. And I know we speak through the lens of business here on Biz Women Rock, but honestly, this goes for all of you, the holistic being that is you. I'm so grateful you're here for this last interview, and I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Kathy. Kathy, I can't believe that this gets to be like my final interview on the Biz Women Rock podcast, and it was just so divinely timed that this would happen. I'm so grateful that you're here. That's so sweet. God, what a <laughs> nice thing that you feel that way. That's well, awesome. our first interview that we had together on the Biz Women Rock podcast, which was back in May of 2018, inspired the hell out of me. And I remember leaving that interview so uplifted and so yes. like yes. full. And, and I know because I heard from my ladies who listen, like, OMG, that woman is amazing. I was like, yeah, of course she is. Of course she is. So no pressure, but <laughs> it's really the authenticity, the realness, and the blatant love that you have for paving a path for yourself and therefore by nature other people that I really want to be able to highlight. So first, 
and foremost, my first question is, in the moment that we're talking, your brand new book, Don't Keep Your Day Job, has been out for a little over a week. How are you feeling about it? What have you been experiencing oh, since it's gone live? <laughs> oh my God. You know, you don't know what anything is until you're in it. You know, it's like before you have a baby and people tell you what that is and you're like, that sounds cool. You get like to pick out a stroller and then you have these like people throw you a party. That sounds good. And then you're in it and you're like, oh, this is what that is. And, <laughs> you know, and the highs are also like that. Where like, they tell you like, you're going to love this thing. You're like, I don't even know this kid. What do you mean? And then you're like, oh, wow. So I had never written a book before. You know, it was a big process. I felt a lot of imposter syndrome. I was afraid for the book to come out. I was afraid that people wouldn't like it. I was like, oh my God, what if I wrote the dumbest book? What if this sucks? <laughs> And then the first big surprise was that a couple of weeks before, I started to hear a few advanced copy readers saying, oh, I really like the book. And then the first thing that happened was book goes live, people are buying it, the copies they pre come in. And we just keep getting these emails from people like, oh my gosh, you know, Kathy, I'm a nurse. I work with cancer patients and this book is medicine. What you're doing is so powerful, so important. I'm like, what am I doing? Really? Good. Thank God. Oh, good. I said something good. I wrote something good. Then what starts to happen is you start to get really sort of focused on the New York Times bestseller list because your publisher's like, you know, it'd be nice. You know, of course you don't have to hit it, but it'd be so nice to hit it. So you start to think about like, how are you going to sell books? Because I thought before I wrote a book that the New York Times list, they like sit back, they read a bunch of books, they're wearing like a scarf by the fire, <laughs> going through book after book, like this one deserves it. Like, nope, you know, like, not so much. Yeah, Simba, we will like anoint you. <laughs> and instead, it's like, no, if you can just sell the most books in a given week, not even like an accumulative way, but in a given week, if you sell the most books, you go on the list. You get the sticker, New York Times bestselling author. So I felt kind of relieved when the first Saturday after my book rolled around because that's when they do their tally. And I felt like, great, whatever we did is done now. I don't have to keep pushing this. I can let go of it. And I spoke to my friend, Seth Godin, and he said to me, back away from the list. Just stop. What you did is what's important. You wrote a good book. Let it go. It's going to break your heart. It's ridiculous. And I'm like, easy for you to say. You've been on it twice. But right. <laughs> The point is that we didn't make the list. I found out the Wednesday after the book came out. And my publisher says to me, Kathy, you know who's on the list? Nikki Haley, Elton John, Donald Trump Jr. She goes, the only person who's new this week, because you know you can sit on the New York Times list for 59 weeks, 130 weeks. Like It's not like there's 10 new spots every week. It just depends who sold the most books. So she goes, and the person who's new this week to the list is a man named Tim McGraw. <laughs> Everyone's on the list. So I was like, great. Well, that... And then she tells me, but you know what? She said, you sold so many books. We sold just under 10,000 copies in a week. She said, you what? sold so many books that you're the third largest sale Macmillan has across all Macmillan imprints. You're right behind Elton John. And I was like, wow. what? So that was that. And it's interesting. You know, it's interesting how we got to get obsessed with what that means, what it doesn't mean. And now the book is, it's really about what the book is. It's really not about the list. And that's the beauty of it. Now it's really about, is the book doing its job? Is it helping people feel seen? Is it giving people purpose? Is it giving people permission? And are people starting to show up more as themselves every day? Because that was the point of the book. Right. And that's exciting. Like, who knows where that's going to lead? You know, am I going to start to see this book 
having a bigger impact? Is it going to have a ripple effect? Am I going to wind up doing a lot more speaking? I don't know. All I can tell you is that's sort of where I'm at right now. How did you know or when did you know that you wanted to write a book, wanted slash needed to write a book? This is not the answer you want to hear, but I didn't want to write the book. <laughs> I, um, I that's, always... That's not an uncommon answer, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's not really true. I always wanted to write a book, but I never believed in myself enough to write it. And then when the podcast was doing so well, I got a call from an agent in New York and she's like, I listen to your podcast every day. This is a book. And I was like, no, no, say it ain't so. You know, it's interesting how like the archetype of like Moses, right? He goes in the desert. He's like, don't choose me, choose someone else. I have a list. I can't speak, ask for a different leader, find someone else. I just didn't want to do it. I was like, I'm not going to be able to like put my words in order. I'm not going to be able to really say this thing. And she said, well, let's just see what happens. Let's just call a couple of publishers. And of course we got three offers. And then it was like, now it's on. I have to write a book. Mm-hmm. And I slugged <laughs> it out. My first draft was awful. Second draft was better. And I literally, when I say literally, I mean, I rewrote the book start to finish six times. A year and a half in, six times later, I felt like, all right, pens down. I can't. I was like, if it's not in there, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going around a circle. So thankfully, they, they liked it at that point, my publisher. And now it's, it's doing things. Tell me a little bit about the core concept of the book, the message that you oh, really yeah. want every reader to take home okay. and then unlayer that a little bit for me because I know okay. it's when you live. The core concept is that every person is significant. It's not just a nice thing to say, it's true. Everyone has a different fingerprint. What's the evolutionary need for that? It's to remind you that you have an imprint to make that no one else ever made and no one else will make. I believe it so wholeheartedly. And it's not just that I think the world needs this thing you have and that's why you were put here because God doesn't make extras. It's because... I deeply feel empathy for other people and I don't want to see people suffer and like use all the time in the sand of time that they have building other people's dreams and feeling depressed. I feel that what people really want, they think it's happiness. They think it's a new car. They think it's a right job. What they really want is a feeling that they're contributing, a feeling that they're seen, a feeling of purpose. And so my contention is that every person would be better off figuring out what lights them up and then figuring out how to use that thing to serve the world. And if we all were busy doing that, I don't think we'd have the amount of loneliness and depression that we have. And I think that people would really naturally just start to make a huge impact and find a lot of fulfillment. And a lot of people who are just suffering from a lot of things, a lot of that I think is unnecessary. I think a lot of it would die down. In your experience, what in all the people that you have interviewed on your podcast who in some way, shape, or form embody that. Yeah. What do you find are some of, not all, but some of the commonalities, personality characteristics, or habits that we can cultivate to be on that authentic journey? Well, there's a couple main things, but every person who I've interviewed from Howard Schultz, Bobby Brown, Mandy Moore, Jenna Fisher, Brian Grazer... Barbara Corker and every person I've interviewed who is like, wow, they just start. Just Mm. do the thing. They're not ready. They're not perfect. They don't have it all together. People who are successful have an action-taking bias. They just go ahead and do it, which means they're very courageous because they are scared, but they have resilience. And so a lot of times when somebody has been injured, when they've gone through a lot as a child, they sometimes make a better success story because they 
they're not fragile. They're not going to break so easily. I think, um, you know, Seth Godin, who I mentioned before, he wrote a book called The Dip. And he said, most people, they hit the dip and they're done. But if you stay in it past the dip, that's where scarcity lies because most people are out of the race at that point. Mm. And I think people who, you know, they, they didn't grow up on easy street. They, they had some hard times. They lost a parent. Their parents got divorced. Somebody was an alcoholic. They, whatever it is, if they have, they've been through that, they've come through that, they can soldier on. And sometimes the greatest insurance policy is someone telling you, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh Yeah say that again in my good ear, you know, (laughs) just watch me, you know, just watch me do it. So I think that successful people have a combination of like, just watch me and I'm okay being messy. It's going to be messy and that's okay. And failure is just like, it's just feedback and I'm just going to keep on going. I'm going to take the pain. I mean, if you can do that, that's huge. Then the other piece that's really, 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 really important is empathy because the difference between a business and a hobby is empathy. See, hobbies are just things that you do. It doesn't matter if anybody cares, but if it's a business, it means someone else is paying me. Someone else is valuing what I'm doing because they need it. They want it. So if you look at any business, whether it's Apple or the guy who owns the local coffee shop, they are thinking about you. They are thinking about what colors you like, when you wake up, what you would need, how you would need it. And that's what makes it work because we need to validate concepts. We need to make sure that what we're doing serves someone else. We were built to serve. So it's messiness, it's action, and then there's got to be empathy. If you're just like, I want people to pay me because I'm good at jump rope. I want people to pay me because I, I'm, I like to write music. It's like, well... It's not really thinking about the other person, but if you can show up and think to yourself, where would this add value? You know, for me as a songwriter, it was like, I don't know. I mean, I could be like all these people who are starving, standing on like Third Street Promenade, singing with like a hat out, trying to like get a few dollars. Or I could think about like, where could I go to add value? Where might my talents be needed? Oh, what about McDonald's? They write, you know, they have commercials. Maybe I could write songs. Like Randy Newman writes the songs of Toy Story. They sound pretty authentic to me, but he's helping someone else tell a story with his ability. So, you know, where can you go? Where's that client? And then you get to choose, right? You get to choose the fishing hole. So you could choose like, you could choose to be a sketch artist in Central Park. You're probably going to get paid like 12 bucks a sketch, or you could show up at like a corporate event and be like, pay me 200 bucks an hour. And by the way, if you have three other corporate events the same day, I've got now people to refer to and I'll take a commission from them. And I'll set myself up with like a sketch company where people just go all over the place and now I'm making lots of money. It is actually so much easier. And this is another piece of the tendency of the book. It's actually so doable. Like if you're serving and validating your offer, right? How you're helping people, you don't need a thousand people liking it. You don't need 150 clients. You don't need a million followers. You don't need any of that. When I was first making three to $400,000, my very first nice income, I had 27 clients. I had 27 people in the universe who knew about my music. I didn't have an Instagram. I was selling B2B. I was reaching out to Netflix, CBS, ABC. I was writing music for TV shows. And 27 out of, out of like the hundreds and hundreds of ad agencies, out of the many, many shows that are on and streaming services, of all those people, 27 were like, I like you, we've connected, and I think I can use your music for my project. And they would keep being like return customers. It wound up making me $300,000 until I then thought, how else could I add value? And I started to teach other artists how to do that. 
which created a six-figure songwriting class, which turned into a million dollars a year, which turned into $2 million a year, just teaching it. And then I started seeing talent coming through the class. And I was like, wait, maybe I should be an agent also open an agency to pitch your music, right? And then add (laughs) another layer of value. And then I started a show. So it's like, how do you serve? And it's not all or nothing. So those are the things that people have in common. It's like this, it's action-oriented, it's being messy, it's empathy. And then it's this like, it's being resourceful. You got to be creative. I have to be actually creative. You know, you're not just creative because you dance. Being a business owner means you got to be creative and you got to start to think creatively how to solve a problem, how to get to your client, how to break through the noise, how to find more people to scale your business. Where do they hang out? What are they reading? You know, all of those kinds of things. Right. So the book is all about that. What has been at least one moment, I'm sure there are many of these, but what has at least been one of those messy moments in your own journey that so many (laughs) that has awakened you to the fact like, I need to really deal with some stuff here in order to evolve into the woman I need to be in order to continue this journey. When you Um, say messy, do you mean like rejection or do you mean me me realizing, what what do you mean? Speak it out a little. Meaning like... When has been a moment on your journey where you're like, okay, I know I'm now aware because of I'm finally seeing that I either have this fear or I have this limiting belief or I have, um, I don't believe that this is possible or I am feeling like an imposter. And now I need to do some work in order for me to transform into this woman I who I know needs to be this person to write this book, for example. Yeah. I mean, that's literally every day of my life. <laughs> Because I was hoping you would say that. (laughs) Yeah, because at every level, there's the next frontier. We have, all of us right now, we have a ceiling and a floor for our paradigm, for the way we're living, for how much love we allow ourselves to receive, how much money we allow ourselves to receive, how much we're generating in terms of fun, in terms of well-being, so much. And like, there's always a ceiling on that at any moment to which we could then make this the ceiling our floor and like set a new standard and have a new breakthrough and i think it takes spiritual work real deep spiritual work to energetically arrive take your seat at the table and keep raising the standard knowing that you're worth it see so much of it is just that because people are looking for a messiah right people are looking for someone to walk in and believe in themselves and they'll, and they'll, they'll give you the belief right away. They'll be like, awesome. I'm so glad you believe you can do it. Let's go. So, you know, so much of the time, the people who were doing things, they're like, I just said, yes, I, I was afraid. I didn't know for sure if I could write the song. I remember writing a song for Netflix. It was a theme song for a kid's show called Llama Llama. I wrote and sang the, the theme. Mm-hmm. And for some reason with that assignment, I think because they gave me some words and they wanted me to create the melody. And it was this woman's words and the woman who wrote Llama Llama book, she had passed away. I felt a lot of pressure. I didn't want to like mess it up. When they were like, hey, would you like to pitch a demo to be like one of the people who could possibly be in the running? And I remember emailing back, no, I can't right now. I just had a baby. And then I like deleted the line and I was like, sure. (laughs) Why did I say sure? First of all, I probably won't get it. Second of all, now I got to take this woman who is so amazing. She passed away. She's going to give a poem of hers. I'm going to have to write it into a song. I'm not going to be able to do that. And then of course I did. 
and I like surprised myself. The same thing when I got the book deal, I was like, oh God, I can't write this book. And part of the reason I think the first four drafts were bad is because I kept overthinking it every sentence, every word. I didn't just let myself write my story and tell the things I needed to tell. I kept sort of filtering it, editing it all the time. And it's sort of like when we give ourselves the confidence of like, yep, I'm going to take my seat at the table. It's amazing how that's so much of it. And so it is a, it's an internal work, you know, of like, I think it's actually, it's a bigger spiritual test to be able to receive money and and let yourself receive and have abundance and do good things with it and let it come in and let more and more love and money and kindness come into your life. That's harder to do than than resisting it because it means you have to deal with the shame that comes up when you don't feel you deserve it. And that hurts. You know, it's sort of like, I remember when I was in therapy in college and I was dating my first boyfriend at the time and I went to my therapist and I'm like, why am I having this reaction to this guy? You know, and of course my parents are divorced. My parents had a really bad marriage and my dad left when I was a kid. And she said, Kathy, if you had third degree burns, what would be the kindest thing I could do? And she said, stand six feet from you. Because if I go to hold you, now you have to feel all of a sudden this pain that comes up. Mm. It's almost like this shame around, why do you love me? Oh my God. You know, now you feel so vulnerable. There's such intimacy. It's like that scene in Goodwill Hunting when Robin Williams' character says to yes. Matt Damon, Matt Damon's super cool. He's got his double burger. He's chilling in his car. He's got all the things. He doesn't want anything. He doesn't need a job. He's fine. He's above it. He's fine. And then Robin Williams like really gets intimate with him. And he's like, it's not your fault. And he's like, I get it. I I get it. He's like, no, it's really not your fault. He's like, I get it. Thanks. I got it. He's like, it's not your fault. He's like, dude, stop. Just stop. You know, that child, that person who lives in all of us, she's not convinced it's not her fault. Yeah. So when the money comes in, when the opportunities come in, when you start being asked to leave that line where everyone's just standing, waiting, waiting for life, waiting for love, complaining, and you start to get asked to leave the line because something's going on in you, something's stirring up, something's changing, and people take notice. You don't know what to do. You feel like you're supposed to stay in the line with all these other people. And it takes very big spiritual wings to be like, no, I'm out. I'm out of here. I'm not staying here anymore. Yeah. And I think so many people, they just stay in that line. They just stand there. They just keep standing there. They don't think they're good enough. And then they make themselves believe, well, everybody who leaves this line, you know, they're like, egocentric or they're stupid or they're going to Yeah. And so they just stand there and pretend they don't want anything. They don't need anything. They're fine. And uh, really it's, they don't feel worthy. Worthiness is where it all comes down to. I think. I wrote a meditation for the Women's Meditation Network called You Are Worthy. And it's one of my most downloaded meditations. And it amazes me Because you have to unlayer a lot in order to get there and to see that. And especially, you know, in the space of women in business, most oftentimes that comes up in, why can't I break past this financial barrier? Or why am I having so many troubles bringing in clients? And you really have to start with, okay, well, what limiting, you know, beliefs you have either about money or what money mindsets are there. And then unlayering that gets into like, am I worthy of receiving this? Am I worthy of it being easy? Am I worthy of being someone? Yeah, of being seen as somebody who can make an impact. So as you go on in your own journey and as you hold hands with others who are going on theirs, what tools do you have or 
words of wisdom do you have or habits can you recommend that either you use or those that you know use to help us continue to dissolve that feeling or to to see our true light, to really think, see our true glow? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of inner child work that has to be done. You know, I think that we have to constantly revisit that constantly because we've built up such a wall to this little person who we carry around and she's running the show. That's the thing is like, she built up all these survival skills and all these fears. And so she doesn't let people in or she becomes super successful because she believes that in order to be loved, she has to be super productive. So she's doing all the things, but she's still not fulfilled because she's got no real inner self there. It's like all output, right? So it's like, you got to keep revisiting that. That's one piece I think is looking at that. One exercise that I do sometimes is write a letter to myself from my six-year-old me and just like, what does she have to tell me today? You know, like, Kath, slow down. It's not your fault. You don't have to make them all okay. You know, my parents were not okay when I was growing up. My mom was suicidal my whole life and she's still not really there. So it's hard to not have a parent, but on top of not having a parent to know that you have to take care of them, feeling really responsible. So it's like that work. And I think it's just awareness and then listening, like asking yourself, like, what do I really need right now? I need a nap. I need to take a walk. You know what I've been doing lately is like, I've had these really long packed days. You know, I go back to back to back to back from like 540 because I got to pick up the kids after school because that's a priority for me. So I'm like, my days at work are just so packed. Mm-hmm. So I do this thing now where I'm like, I'm starting to feel just like depleted. So I'll get up and I'll walk outside to get some vitamin D. And even if I have 20 minutes, I'll just leave my phone in the house and outside in the fresh air for 20 minutes. I'll do that like four times a day, whenever I have to take a tiny little seven minute break. It's, it's amazing. And it's like, just from asking myself, what do I need? It helps so yes. much. It's like, here I am looking at this tree right now. Even if I stare at it for a whole like 14 seconds, I just feel better all of a sudden, right? So ask yourself what you need. And also my friend, Kate Northrup, she's got such a great line. She says, I put it in my book, actually. It's a quote from her book, Do Less. She said, we live in a time as if every day should be a perpetual harvest. And that's just not the way it works. You know, anyone who's ever been a farmer knows you don't reap from the ground every day. I think we live in a time where people are like, what's my win for Facebook today? What's my headline? How am I posting on Instagram? How am I going to be noticed? It's like, slow down, right? There's a reason there's a waxing and a waning to the moon. There's a reason why this the soil gets more nutrients the longer it rests. You know, when you're playing music, my teacher used to say, pause, it's the, it's the space between the notes that actually gives the notes the life that they have. So slow down, right? Mm. So we don't live in that kind of culture. And I think especially for women, we've decided that we need to become men, right? You know, men, and Kate talks about this, like biologically, their cycle replenishes every 24 hours. They have like new, you know, sperm, right? Which is why they want to have sex all the time. <laughs> Women, it's a 28-day, 30-day, whatever it is, cycle. So women naturally, intuitively know how to pause. And there's times for, you know, this lit up feeling. And there's times to like put on a sweatshirt and stay in bed. And we can gain so much from that. But we don't do it. We've been taught to like show up. But you know what? And this is something I talk about in the book. It's like, if you want to get that strategy, that incredible aha, by staring at the computer eight hours a day, it's not coming. But by stepping away from the computer and taking care of yourself and going to a museum or taking a walk on the beach or just like hanging out with your girlfriends and drinking some rosé, 
you're going to come back and you're going to go, oh my God, I just had an idea because there's yeah. space. Yeah. I, I think those are some of the things that we have to work in. I, Kate was on the the podcast a couple of months ago talking about her book and that exact concept. And I talk about that a lot here as far as, you know, I have labeled it as sort of like stopping in the hustle. That is a very, what I would call a masculine hustle. That's a very masculine way of doing things like being there all the time, check things Uh. off the list, do, 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 do. And it's, I think more and more women, thankfully, are sort of speaking about and living and, and embodying a completely different way of doing things, you know, doing the right things on whatever cycle works for them in a way that works for them. That's why I'm going on sabbatical with the Biz Women Rock podcast because the season of my life I am choosing and I know dictates a you completely have to trust it. Yeah, a completely different business model and a, and a new way of doing things. And so my question is how we can say that all day long. We can say, okay, don't be in the hustle and have the feminine way of doing things that is really, you can call it masculine or feminine. That doesn't really matter what it is, is like personally in tune with what is right for you, right? We can say that, but actually showing up and living it is a little different. So how do you manage knowing what sort of that templated expectation is for how to be a quote unquote person of influence out there? Somebody who has a show with millions of of downloads, somebody who has a book that already is flying off the shelves, somebody who has an incredible following on Instagram that you are constantly showing up for these amazing people. How do you manage that in yourself to to stay in that space of you love being there and you want to give and you also need to make sure that you're not doing it constantly out of sort of expectation? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like I probably need more help with the balance. I think I probably am too available still, but it really feeds my soul. I think because, you know, they say like, tell the truth or else you're going to have to like get really good at lying, you know, all the time. I think because I like just show up and like just do what I do, I just feel it's not so hard to keep showing up the way I show up. Like I'm not trying to take the prettiest pictures. I don't have a curated feed. I'm not hanging out on the beach one day and the other day in front of this like, you know, balloon collage. Like I'm just reposting quotes I like and writing the captions myself and responding to people in DMs. Sometimes I do it with like a voice note. I'll be like, thanks so much. That meant so much to me. What's up with you? You know, and people are like, whoa, she sent me a voice note. So I find that in everything I do, truly what helps me is like, I just don't have an expectation to like do it perfectly or, you know, all of that. And I think that that helps. I think that a lot of people feel pressure when we put too much on ourselves. Like this has to be perfect. You have to do it this way. And I see a lot of people work harder, not smarter, you know? Like recently I realized another thing that's really big for me is getting support because I spoke to my friend, Kelly Roach, you know, Kelly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she was like, you need an amazing team. Like you're actually not as effective as you could be. You could be more effective if you had like two full-time people doing this and this. And instead I had like six part-time people and it was sort of like duct taped together So I got to give a shout out to my team. But that also takes self-work because again, I just didn't even see that showing up because my relationship to being supported is so off because my mother was not really able to be supportive. So that's really interesting how I relate to support. And then in order to be good with support, you have to actually need things and then lead by being really kind and then 
not falling into the, like everyone has to be my best friend on the team, which is my thing. It's really exhausting to want everyone to like you all the time. And it keeps Mm -hmm. you from actually getting people to show up more. So it's, I've learned how to like really just keep treating them well, but not overdo it, not have to be overly grateful that they do what they do. And then just be clear, like, this is what I actually need you to do. And and let me coach you and train you and put love into you so that you can actually hit the bullseye. So that helps me. And um, that's very recent that we're starting to see my team take form. And I hope that a year from now, it's even in a much more strong place. I read, I'm sure that this was in Kate's book in some way, and also in Denise Stuffield Thomas's book, Chillpreneur. It's about like being that golden goose, like recognizing in your business, what is the golden goose? What are the things that only you can do, right? And really recognizing that and being able to say, not just the normal rhetoric of, oh, I need to build my team so that, you know, I can do more. But it's, it's really through the vantage point of if I get to concentrate and spend my time doing what only I can do and employ these other amazing individuals to do what they can do best to support this big system, if you will, then my message or my, you know, my impact, what I really want to do can get to more and more people like exponentially. So it's really, you know, with that intention that you grow the team. So, yep, I agree. And that's really the point is that if you really want to be selfless and really help and really you, you need, you need to be able to work smart so that you don't get burned out and so that you have more space to be a visionary and come up with the next idea and really look at it like the way a captain would or a quarterback would and go, no, 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 no. I now can see a bigger vantage point because I wasn't stuck in the nitty gritty and that's got to change. Yes. This is what's super important. we got to double down over here. Yes, love that. What does this book mean to you? What does it mean to you for, you obviously have already spoken very passionately about the message in it and the really Im- the big impact that you really, it is making and you want it to continue to make, but what does it mean for your business and the evolution of your business? You know, it'll be interesting to hear a year from now, like how it plays out. I think it's a huge tool though. It lights such a fire because it's interesting. Like I was saying to my husband, wow, people are quoting me on Instagram now. She says on page 47, it's like, (laughs) I'm not a different person. It's not like I now have a PhD next to my name. I just wrote a book, but there's something about seeing something in print. People take that as like, well, you must be really committed to these thoughts because you wrote them down and a publisher who gets tons and tons of submissions, they thought that this was a pretty important point of view. So I take it seriously. And I take it more seriously than when you say it on the podcast, because there's 200, 300 episodes, you say it here or there. But if you chose to put that in the book, it's intentional. So because of that, then I've already noticed it's only been a short amount of time since the book came out. Already, people are reaching out to have me speaking at these conferences. And it's like, it's because they feel that I have a strong point of view and then the people who feel aligned with that for their conference, they want me to speak. And I had Brian Grazer on the podcast recently. He and Ron Howard have done all those movies together. They're partners, Apollo 13, Beautiful Mind. Amazing. I said, what do all successful people have in common? He said, a very strong point of view. Like mm-hmm. you have an opinion. And when you write a book, you're saying, I could have written about anything, but this this is one thing that I feel so strongly. I could sit and spend a whole two years making sure this point gets heard. So 
that's cool because it puts you in the landscape in a new way. It's like, oh, you know, Kathy Heller, she feels really strongly about people having purpose and everybody making sure they're fulfilled. And she had a lot to say about it. She had like 300 pages worth to say about it. (laughs) So I can see how that will start to change my career. It also gives you even more of a reach. You know, people find the book, then they tell their friends. And that's what's happening now is like, it's just being shared. People are buying this now for different holiday gifts and different things for birthdays and starting book clubs around it. And then new people find the podcast, right? So it's just another tool for me to connect and for me to offer value and to just, again, raise the visibility of the brand and everything I'm trying to do. So that ultimately, yeah, the hope is to keep serving more and more people. And and the book inspired me to do other things. You know, Because I was writing the book, I said, there's going to be new people coming to the website. I want to create another resource. So we created a, a quiz That's at kathyheller.com. It's a free quiz. And it helps you figure out what your passion purpose project might be. And I say passion purpose project because like, what's the thing that you might do for a living that you'd be passionate about that actually you know, also serves the world. And in the book, I talk about like four archetypes. Like you could be the maker, the teacher, the curator, the investigator. I've seen that like everyone who's been on my show fits into one of four categories. And that's so cool because sometimes we don't take action and walk toward a path because we don't see it being possible. Yeah. So we created that quiz. And so like, I don't know if I would have done that if I wouldn't have written the book. And because of the book, I started thinking about doing a lot more podcasts, being on other people's shows, which sometimes I say no to those things because I'm, you know, picking my, you know, choosing what I'm going to do with my time. But that was a good thing because it got me in front of more. So it's like one thing sort of leads to the other. And now we're creating a program to be like a 12 step you know, video series and like, how do you find your passion project? How do you turn it into a living? And I don't think I would have done that. I wouldn't have created that companion. So it's like, it's just cool how one thing leads to the next. And choosing to step bravely into every single one of those steps and say, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, I want to finalize by a question that seems a little off the cuff, but I know it's still very real and pertinent in this conversation. What are just a few ways, I'm sure there are many, but what are just a few ways that you instill this passion that you have and these beliefs that you have into your kids? Well, I'm really a big fan of saying like, I'm not interested in like the test score you get. I want you to feel truly like you're just trying and being yourself. And that's what matters to me. Some really quick, when they like overthink their homework or whatever, I'm like, don't worry about it. It's not important. Like you did your best, move on, like go outside, stop. And I I actually asked the teachers to give less homework. I started a little committee with the other moms and I'm like, can we let this go? Um, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I'm also, I try to make space for them to talk about how they feel. And then I, I let them know, you know, that I don't always have it together. And then I also show them like, it's not all or nothing. And sometimes I'm happy being away from you guys and it gets me, I feel fulfilled and excited. And isn't that cool that mommy does something she loves, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I have to work hard and, and that's also okay. And it's like, we're all just sort of doing our best. And the most important thing is like, you know, I let them know that they are already whole. Mm. Like they don't need me to fix them. And they don't need my advice. They just need my love. And then that they'll know what to do. Like they'll have a guiding principle inside of them. And I really do believe that we come in this world whole. In fact, I just see it. I I feel like when people are saying, I want to be more like me and how do I become more of who I am? It's like, it's about unbecoming Mm. who you're not. Yes. 
letting go of who your mom wanted you to be, who you thought you needed to be, all the survival skills you build to protect yourself. It's like your unabashed self is just really whole. And I think that's my goal is to make people, myself, my kids, the world, like just make people feel less broken because it's not really true, you know? And even when we go through hard times and we feel broken and we have things that we do that self-sabotage or we have our stuff, it only makes us actually a better candidate to be a success and light a path for someone else because people don't want perfect. They want real. So I try to instill that however I can. And, and I'm not perfect at it. You know, I'm not perfect at being a parent. I'm not perfect at being married. I'm just like figuring it out as I go, you know? Aren't we all? (laughs) Yeah, we are. Aren't we all? Well, I have no doubt that the response that you're seeing already with the readers of your book will continue to ignite and expand more and more and more. And I am so excited to, you know, have this opportunity to share that with every single listener. So if you're listening, I will put the link to the website in the show notes so you can go and get your own book. Um, When is this coming out? On Monday, girl, like in a couple days. Okay. Because (laughs) guess what? Audible has a deal right now where you can get my book for free. Woo! Audible. Perfect. See, you're already listening to a podcast. So go get it on Audible. Yeah. Because when you get Audible, they give you a couple of free books, but we have a deal going. If you go to audible.com slash dream job, you get this like incredible deal. You get the book for free and they just had a lot of cool stuff. There's like a great offer there. And I think that get the book, you know, because I'm a podcaster and you guys listen to this show. So you already like podcasts. And when you get the audio book, I narrated it. So it's kind of like a six hour podcast and you can listen to it on your own time when you're washing ditches. It might be an easier way to go through the book. But thank you for even mentioning that. That would be awesome. I'd love for you guys to read it. I will uh, put that link in the show notes as well. So go get the book. Go subscribe to Kathy's podcast. Don't keep your day job. Just keep her in your ear as I know that you're experiencing right now. It's just (laughs) the very first time I had you on the show, the very first line of my, you know, the description of the show was this episode will be soul food for you. (laughs) And that's how... That's how I feel right now. And that's why I'm so honored that you are my very last interview for the Biz Women Rock podcast because I feel like everything that I believe about who we are in business and actually that this business is sort of a vehicle not only to impact others, but to force us to evolve into who we are meant to be here in this world. I feel like this is just the perfect embodiment of everything that I stand for. Well, that's extremely generous and you've been so kind and I just feel really seen. So thank you for for all of that. Thank you for being here, Kathy. Yeah, thank you. 